Ada Brera, welcome to The Political Animals. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be, to be talking to you today. Bella, why don't we begin by you telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do. So I'm the, I have a very long job title. Um, it's the We've got time. <laughs> director, <laughs> director of the Foundations of Western Civilization program at the Institute of Public Affairs here in Melbourne. And what, how did you, uh, what's your kind of educational background? How did you come to be in this, um, it's got quite a reputation. It has a, it's, a kind of, it's kind of regarded as a right-wing free market think tank or something something like that or worse if you listen to its critics yes it's described in in, in as a uh, in many ways um, and I and I I just I look I I'm a historian by training and by love um, I wanted to be an archaeologist desperately when I was a child and then sort of figured out later on that history just has a little bit more depth to it and I ended up doing a Bachelor of Arts at Monash in archaeology and history in Spanish and Italian. And then my mother suggested to me, have you thought about going to the University of St Andrews? And I'd never heard of the place and I applied and miraculously I got in. And I did an MA in single on Spanish and that was Spanish history and language and culture. Um, and then I applied to do a PhD at Cambridge and I was accepted and I did a PhD in the Spanish Inquisition. So buried deep in, in, in the archives in Spain for six months looking at the Inquisition trials. Um, so history has always been my first love and I wrote some books on the English Reformation as well and then ended up coming back to Australia at the ripe old age of 40 and wondering what I was going to do. <laughs> as one does. <laughs> as one does. Um, and sort of um, fell into this role. I had no idea about the Institute of Public Affairs. Um, I hadn't really thought about Western civilization as other than other than it's cool. Other than, you know, from looking at it, from appreciating the art and the culture and the literature as, as, as one does, especially if you live in Europe and you go to the galleries and it's all around you. Um, never thought I would have to be in a position where, where I had to start defending it as something good. Um, so I emailed the executive director and said, hello, my name's Bella. Would you like me to do anything in terms of Western Civ? And, um, and then five years later, I've, I've ended up becoming someone who, who is deeply unpopular in many circles for pointing out that not everything about Western civilization is terrible. It's amazing that that, that can um, generate so much opposition and opprobrium, that very phrase, you know, not everything about yes. Western civilization yes. is bad. That just seems well, <laughs> it's remarkable in a it, way. It is remarkable. Um, we actually had a historian um, uh, three years ago come and visit us, Professor Robert Toombs, who's a historian at St. John's great lovely man um, and he said in his speech you know he couldn't admit to his colleagues in Cambridge that he was coming to Australia to talk about Western civilization <laughs> because they'd, they'd be wondering what what he was thinking and he'd be sort of um, hauled up and, and asked to explain himself so this is not peculiar to to Australia this um, antagonism towards mm. towards Western civilization in fact it's in it's it's in America the UK Australia Canada New Zealand yeah and it's it's rather perplexing for a number of reasons, but one reason that never ceases to perplex me very deeply is the level of controversy in the universities. Because if you're a university, surely your entire existence is around inquiring into the world and looking for the truth of the world. Now, whether you like this beast called Western civilization and its history, it has been, it has shaped global history right throughout that and, and it just shaped the kind of uh, polities that we are in places like Australia and America so if you want to understand the world world how could it possibly be controversial <laughs> to spend mm. a lot of time yes looking at yeah. everything from Greek political philosophy yes. and thought through the Roman Empire through the Judeo-Christian mm. age Christendom like the inquisitions like that that should just be I don't know if it's controversial to look at the in Inquisitions I guess it depends what kind of um, find uh, finding yeah, if, it, if well, it made yes, it was the actually, church then that's pretty good it probably. was controversial yeah okay. but it needed to be done these things need to be done we need to look at the dark pages and the light pages of western civilization. we can't just focus on the dark and the turgid um, mm. parts of our of our history because it it's damaging to to, to our perception of who we are I think we're the only civilization. We're the only civilization in the world at the moment that is that is so hypercritical of ourselves that we're in danger of bringing it down. And my problem with the critics of Western civilization is that they want to deconstruct it and they want to destroy it, but they don't have an alternative. 
And this is this sort of utopian, we get into this whole idea of utopia, um, and you know that's a, a, again another tangent of, well, well so the, the, criti- the major criticism of Western civilization is, at the moment, is that it seems to be, we've moved into the, this idea that Western civilization is structurally racist, and that it is, has been designed to oppress minorities. Um, so everything about daily life now can potentially be seen as racist. So therefore, we have to empty our museums of uh, items. We have to empty our libraries of books that will have been written by white men. <laughs> um, we have to reject the, the, the Enlightenment. We have to reject the scientific revolution. We have to reject all these things as white supremacy, which is nihilistic. They, they offer nothing in its place. So it's a pessimistic um, and, and depressing ideology that offers no hope mm. and, and we must we must keep going back to western civilization and looking at our history and, and learning from it and seeing where we've gone wrong and not repeating those mistakes and again if no one knows about the history of western civilization we won't know what mistakes not to make and it's we're doomed to repeat the same old things yeah. so yeah i have a look i have a lot to say about it and and i never thought i would be in a position where i was as i said to you earlier where i was having to actually defend something like the scientific revolution or talk about the glories of the Renaissance. And the other thing that, that, that really annoys me about this movement is that we're, we're losing beauty. Um, and that's something that people don't talk about. This, this, it's, it's a nihilistic and, as I said earlier, and pessimistic and very negative way of looking at things. We're losing so much of our, cult, of our cultural beauty and appreciation of the human spirit. I love this concept of nihilism. I think mm. that has a lot of explanatory power. And I think as I, as I sort of reflect as you're talking, I'm also listening, but I, I, I tend to reflect and listen at the same, same time to no, the extent that that's possible. That, um, you know, the reason there's nothing offered to stand in the place of this cultural civilizational nihilism is that it's because they are literally removing everything. As you were talking, I was thinking, well, there's literally nothing left of the Western civilizational edifice and so it's very hard to propose something when you have to literally build a civilization from scratch it's one thing to propose reforms or to re-examine or re-read a certain part of let's say western culture or western history that's entirely appropriate i mean that there has been i think a very legitimate revision Mm. of the colonial story in australia in terms of the what happened on the frontier and the way indigenous australians were, were taught does go too far in certain aspects and it's it's quite unbalanced too but the indigenous australia was invisible <laughs> when mm. i was growing up and it was kind of historically invisible there had been a kind of whitewashing of the history so it's one thing to do what i would consider appropriate revision and as a kind of free thinker I'm, i don't think anything sacrosanct to the point where you can't actually go back and and reread and re-examine history with a, a new light but what we are talking about here something completely different to the point where effectively we've got to burn books or not read them you know your Plato's your Aristotle's and as you say like the whole aesthetic tradition of the West and so in a way perhaps it's not surprising that there's nothing to put in its place because if you literally tear the entire building down you know you need (laughs) you can't just yes there's that and the fact that that's actually not how civilization works you don't just construct it no it's a more organic which reveals, which reveals a sort of ignorance. And it, there's an arrogance about uh, people who want to destroy Western civilization too that I find that, especially the people that are um, controlling this dreadful cancel culture that we're seeing um, running amok in society at the moment, they have a, an arrogance and a profound ignorance of history that I don't think we've seen really in, in our society before where there is this complete assuredness that they know better than mm-hmm. um, ancestors. You know, they want to destroy everything, but they don't actually want to destroy the, 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 the university itself and the idea of academia. That's the last thing to go, isn't it? Strangely, I haven't seen anyone trying to deconstruct academia yet. Well, I guess if you, once you come to control an institution, then, then clearly you have a stake you do. in its survival. So does this mean the universities are going to out-survive out the, rest of, the, just, the uh, rest of our institutions? Maybe. I'm trying to, trying to think of a um, pithy way to combine university and ocracy, as in a, in a kind of rule by university. Yes, uh, yeah, I, instead of technocracy. It doesn't quite work with it, the, the, the Latin origin of... Um, maybe if we want to go Greek, you could, could have a panem- 
an epistemocracy. Um, that's not really going to catch on, is that's it? That's not, not going to catch on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Brutal but true, true feedback. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That, that's, uh, let's stick to podcasting rather than trying to come up with... This is why my academic career is going to go nowhere. Because, <laughs> because if you want to succeed, you have to come up with terms like decoloniality mm. that, that are both hideously ugly from an aesthetic point mm. of view and tell you nothing about what they mean. You actually have to really... Mm. Um, and knowledges, that's another one that I... Knowledges. Yes, the you plural. Like knowledges? I don't yeah. like knowledges. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All depends on your perspective perspective and experience and um, subjective well, feelings and experience. Well, it, tra- it, traces, it, it goes back to the postmodernized idea that Western knowledge is bad, but <laughs> other knowledges are good. Yeah. So any yeah, knowledge yeah. that's not Western is good, and we have to call it knowledges. And that, again, is a dangerous... A dangerous road to go down because you're saying <laughs> all of Western knowledge has to be rejected. Yeah. Um, it has to be replaced with with other knowledges that aren't necessarily a lot of the time based on mm-hmm. rational uh, thought or empiricism or it undoes the, the the Enlightenment. It does. It undoes the scientific revolution. It it, it undoes the progress that we've made in the last two thousand years. I, th- I feel like I need to ask you a question, Bella, because it sounds like we're singing from the same song sheet at the moment. I guess I'm just trying to think of uh, what a valid criticism might be of what we have both sort of furiously agreed on so far. And I, and I guess a skeptic might say, okay, yes, I can see amongst the left Twitterati and certain academics, there is this kind of nihilistic approach to Western culture and Western civilization, Western history that we have both identified but they would say i mean come on we're we're if you look at western civilization in terms of populations and citizens you know you can't tell me that the 25 million people living in a, in australia are all cultural nihilists isn't this a kind of aren't we overreacting to the overstating the threat in the sense that yes there's some elites trying to go down this path but then there are people like you and at ipa countervailing that so it's not like a They've just waltzed through the gates and we've left the gates open. There's a contest going on amongst, for want of a better term, elites. I don't know how comfortable you are with <laughs> being included in that, in that term. But um, what would you say to the idea that, yes, this group is influence, influential. It's certainly gained more influence. But are they really going to actually achieve their goal? As in destroy, make Western civilization such a dirty word that the plumber down the street can never say anything positive about it and the the sort of mum raising children over here or you know being mm. a corporate lawyer whatever the, the career is you know yeah yeah it could it could it actually be seep into society that broadly catch on so broadly that it, it could actually achieve the destruction well i think it, it is it is seeping into society we're seeing this on a daily basis and people are actually now much more aware of it than than they used to be it's not so much the plumber saying, I really love Western civilization. It's probably not something they say it's, anyway. <laughs> it's probably not. It's the plumber being able, being comfortable to put a Billy Con- Connolly Facebook post on his mm-hmm. Facebook page and know that he won't get cancelled. Or not having to say he, him. Or not his, having, uh, or, 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 yeah, or a school teacher mistakenly using the wrong pronoun and mm. getting sacked. Or the supermarket worker at Asda who um, is a 54-year-old disabled grandfather who posts the wrong thing on Facebook mm-hmm. and gets sacked, or the, indigen- or the African-American security guard who uses the N-word and gets sacked, and mm-hmm. these are all real cases. Mm-hmm. And every week we see this um, new wave of hysteria about something that needs to be cancelled, which is exhausting. And the thing that worries me about it is it's always a minority of people. It's never mainstream Australians. People don't care about an ice cream called Golden Gay Time. In fact, the gay mm-hmm. community doesn't care, mm. quite likes that it's called Golden Gay Time. <laughs> um, and um, parents should have the right to read ch- their children Dr. Zeus books without being accused of being racist. But the problem is people are now being silenced by it. An average mainstream Australians... Uh, I actually had a conversation with the guy that makes my coffee this morning in, mm-hmm. in, near my house. Um, and he asked me what I was doing this morning. I said, I'm going to be talking about cancel culture. And he goes, he said, are you pro or against? And I went, I'm against. <laughs> what do you think? And he said, oh, thank you so much. I'm getting so sick of it. I'm, and he said to me, I'm scared of putting anything on Facebook. I'm scared of saying anything. I'm scared of saying, saying the, the wrong thing. This is not an elite mm. 
And this is the problem with cancel culture, we've strayed into cancel culture, is that it victimizes the people it's purporting to protect. So the, the, vulnerable, the vulnerable people in society or the people who don't have a voice or the people who might have had a voice are now being silenced. Mm. And it's not the elite, it's not the J.K. Rowlings, it's not the um, John Cleese, because they can say things. There'll be, there'll be a bit of, of you know, turmoil for a while on Twitter and they'll be cancelled by the Twitterati, but in the end they'll still have their millions they'll still have their mansions and they'll still get through life. But these people that I mentioned earlier who lose their jobs, who are sort of, you know, bottom of the rung security guard or mm. disabled and working at a supermarket, what, where are they going to go? And you know what, it strikes me that they really are collateral damage because the offences in inverted commas that they are committing are not political offences. These are not people trying to prosecute a cultural war or trying to make a political statement through the faux pas or misuse of language or the gender pronoun. They're, they're kind of innocent victims in the sense that it, it, there are so many new taboos yes. <laughs> emerging that well, it's very easy to accidentally stumble is, into one This of them. is what Douglas Murray calls invisible tripwires. Yeah. Um, and and they, they change every week. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the people who cancel people eventually get cancelled themselves as well. They don't realise that. Well, you know, it's like the children of the revolution always end up being eaten by the the, yeah. the, the revolution yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. So it's invisible tripwires. It's, you know, a, a teacher mis, misgendering a, a student, probably an honest, honest mistake. There's also the sense that when people are accused of racism, it's because the, the, the offended person sees the racism in the in the cartoon or the statement where there was none intended. Mm-hmm. So it's it's this strange relationship with with truth that comes from postmodernism. I see that as offensive therefore it is it's my truth yeah it's yeah. It, we've totally strayed away from from objective truth of something being racist or yeah. not it's how I perceive it which um, is quite extraordinary because you produce a piece of art or you write something and hopefully you put a lot of work into trying to articulate whatever it is you want mm. to articulate as clearly as possible and then your intentions and objective becomes irrelevant because Someone could completely take it in a way you never in a million years intended and you could do some research and survey people and 99.9% of people may have read it or viewed it, Mm. heard it in the way you intended. But it doesn't matter if that 0.1% person is utterly aggrieved by it, then you're worthy of cancellation. And and there's there's no defense of, well... I didn't mean that. This look look very few. <laughs> You're in no. a vast minority of people that have taken it this way. That doesn't matter. You've caused offence. You're dead. And and the other problem with this is obviously it's mob rule on the on the social media. Um, but there's also the Human Rights Commission, which is not mob rule. No. Which which it's is almost something worse. It's almost something worse. Because they have some legal power. They do. Not full legal power, but enough legal power to make your life hell. Yeah. And look what happened to Bill Leake. His yeah, cartoons know, were know. perceived as racist where there was no racism intended and then called up before the Human Rights Commission. Stress was so much. Yeah. But yeah, look, so we've got, we've got a combination of mob rule on the internet that gets your school teacher or the person who misposts something mm-hmm. and then you, prob- you have something like the Human Rights Commission get that, that is a sort of higher level um, and, as you say, probably worse process to go through very costly costly one. yeah and so, very costly well i guess losing your job is pretty costly but, yes but if, yes if you then have to defend yourself through a long and arduous um procedural battle where as the saying goes the procedure is the process is the is <laughs> is, the is, the, is the punishment i think they the young uni student at the i think it was the university of queensland that got caught up in that whole thing of the indigenous only computer room or whatever yes. and, and yeah Callum Thwaites know, yeah, yeah some gross missteps by yeah. the um I think it was the human rights yes Gillian Triggs commission and, and uh, just like a, a sort of very unjust and awful well, experience and very long and drawn out before well, it gets resolved he didn't even know that there had been complaints made yeah, against no, him that's quite extraordinary it is it's like the star chamber it's like, it reminds me of a sort of star chamber of the of the, the Tudor age where mm. you'd be called in front of and asked to to explain yourself and you didn't even know that, that you were in, in trouble. <laughs> that was it. It does make defence pretty hard. You know, I, I did have this thought, Bella. There's, like, there's one of the things that, again, perplexes me, just to use the same word, with this cancel culture is it really doesn't serve the victims, which 
ostensibly provide the rationale mm. for prosecuting the offender in the first place. That is, so you're at school, you've just transitioned your gender or you're in the process yep. or you've just announced it. Yeah. And your poor teacher just makes a mistake because it's quite a big change. You've changed your name yes. and you've changed your yes. pro- pronouns. And yet it becomes this massive thing. Whereas, you know, if you're going to survive as a transgender person, mm. you, you need a kind of psychological scaffolding, for want mm. of a better term, mm. that means you can survive in a society where mistakes like that are going, going yes. to happen. And, yes. and this is not a thing specific to the, the categories of people, LGBTIQ mm. or, or um, black people mm. or women or whatever, or human beings. <laughs> Yeah. have to live in a world where sometimes people either deliberately or unintentionally say hurtful things. Now, if, if every single, if literally every single offence, no matter what it, what it was, um, from, you know, that, the kind of thing that happens, uh, I've got an a eight-year-old son and he's got a group of friends and sometimes they clash and mm. there's a bit of upset, there's a bit of pushing yeah. and shoving, someone says something someone laughed when someone fell over like if if that was the level mm. for taking administrative action or taking mob action or <laughs> trying yes. to get people cancelled then then the people behind cancellation culture wouldn't have to do anything like civilization would be over but none of that is actually good and if you look at the way we raise children or try to raise children you try to give them a bit of robustness a kind of strong psyche, mm. just to use some psychobabble mm. language, and I, and I really, I'm not a psychologist, so <laughs> <laughs> I use that term very loosely. The mm. point is, why do the proponents of this, those driving this cancellation culture, why can they not see that actually what you really want to do for vulnerable people is build them up, turn them into strong characters, people who are confident, people, people, people who can live in a world that sometimes can be a bit nasty, so that rather than their first thought being, I've been misgendered, I need to report this teacher, they just say, ah, oh mm. well, maybe I'll just point it out and remind yes. Miss or Sir, but, yeah. but carry on because they have a, a sort of uh, security inside themselves to not fall apart when that happens. So I think two things, they're being told that they're victims and we're living in a victim culture. And I think the, the people behind, who channel their efforts into cancelling other people, um, just enjoy the power. It's, it's, I think it's a power. Do you mean I in, think a, in it's, a kind of like... Yeah, they love... Look what I've done. I've actually, got, I've got power. To, I've, I've actually made someone lose their job. I've actually um, created... First of all, I'm in the paper. I mean, you think about someone that was behind... The chap that was behind the Colonial Brewing Company in, in Western Australia. I think he got into the paper. He got a, a company to almost change the name of its beer... That, that is an immense power for, for, for someone just who is just an average run-of-the-mill citizen. Run citizen. So this is handing, this is, and this is, this is a, you know, an interesting discussion about human nature, about why we like to have power over people, other people, and if we're given the chance, we'll wield that power. And it's not necessarily for good, really, is it? It's a very unchristian side of human, it's, 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 it's very unchristian behavior, and it's... Um, it's not a nice side of our fallen fallen nature, and I think it appeals to our to our fallen nature. Oh, that, demons. Yeah. It, well, a lot of the the anger and the, this cancel culture is so diabolical that I sometimes wonder where it comes from. Mm. Um, and but I but I definitely think there's definitely a, there's a there's a power play behind this. And the funny thing is obviously that is that postmodernism is deeply suspicious of of, of power structures. And that's what it def- how it defines itself. And Marxism is all about the power between the bourgeois, the power structure between the bourgeois and the proles. And mm. that's now it's been repackaged in in the racism terms as, as as whites against blacks. So ironically, you know, these these movements talk about how there's 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 a power inequality um, between groups, but they're actually just handing power to other to, to people. Mm. This is under the pretense of trying to protect the protect the vulnerable. Can I, I want to throw something provocative at mm. you. Feel free to recoil or say it's the most brilliant thing you've ever heard. <laughs> the choice is yours. Um, you know, I wonder if actually one of our, you know, if we're trying to, trying to diagnose deep, the deep roots of this problem, mm. which I don't think has been done in a compelling way yet. Um, you know, there's cultural Marxism, there's postmodernism. 
yes, I'm happy to, to play with those as an ingredient, but it just seems like we haven't quite, those of us who are looking at this from the other side, concerned about cancellation culture and the like, you know, you mentioned human nature, which doesn't get a lot of airplay, but I just sense that there's, there's something deep and complex and mysterious going on here. And those of us on our side haven't quite mm. nailed it yet in terms of articulating exactly what's going on and mapping its its genealogical development. So I'm not going to actually solve that now, but this is a kind of rationale for trying to think maybe outside the box. So I wonder if one of the problems is that we've reached a point in our civilizational history where I don't know if it's mainly technology, but certainly technology is the obvious one, has actually over-empowered citizens. That mm. is, uh, the balance of our democracy, what you actually want is <laughs> quite a bit of elite power. That mm. is, you want you want power perhaps bound so that there's, just, there's, a, there's a very clear um, role and responsibility of a parliament, of a prime minister, of courts. Mm. Because what's happening, the power that used to be in institutions, let's call it institutional yes. power, yeah. has gone down to people. So yeah. that now, rather than a corporation having the freedom where it's the board and the CEO and the executives that yeah. make decisions, now a lobby group can camp- campaign and make them change the very place where they they yes. hold a, yes. a, what was it, a baseball game in Georgia, yeah. Yeah. You know, went to another state with the same legislation, but setting aside that little, um, that point, so many of our institutions, corporations, mm. government, uh, maybe not so much courts, but legal professions, you know, the your sort of medical practices, mm. practitioners association, or <laughs> I'm gobbling the name, yeah. they're all now universities, they're all now vulnerable to this new power yeah. that the citizen has to... Uh, voice their complaint in a loud way, galvanize and organize a a group. It doesn't have to be a huge, loud group. And then they can bombard. The technology allows them to sort of move in a strange way. It's it's kind of mob-enabling technology. Mm. And um, and to me, I think that's a kind of imbalance. Now, the reason I say it's provocative is because we are sold on a kind of what I would call an ideological... Um, love attachment to democracy and I am a democrat but mm. we've turned it into to something we, we've lost sight of what is actually good about democracy and turned it into a kind of ideology and so democratization in whatever context is a good so of course you want to give more power to citizens we want to hear more from citizens we want to hear um, yes <laughs> we want to empower them so that they can make their voice heard and they can shape things like policy and for me I stopped watching Q&A the moment they put that terrible eye pollution down the bottom of the screen otherwise mm. known as Twitter mm. because I don't care what Sally or Ron no, from Blacktown no, no. thinks I'm watching the bloody show I don't need yeah. them to say good point yeah you don't or, care you don't you know, care it's not it's not relevant like like yeah. with respect to citizens yeah. most of them have nothing to offer yeah. we don't want to elevate no. the ill-informed the prejudiced mm. the anxious yeah <laughs> the, or just the, the, the downright insane <laughs> yeah because um anyway that's my provocative no idea. no i don't think it's that provocative i think i think oh, i think i think we need sorry but i think i think it's the wrong power i think we need to empower citizens in a very different way we need more power when it comes to what our local councils are spending our money on that's where the real empowerment should come mm-hmm. that's uh, you know i don't want the my local council spending money on people going through my recycling bin, bin which is what they're actually doing that's so so in a in a strange way we're being disempowered from our, what matters from what matters from from really having any say in how the government spends our taxes how the local government spends our, our rates we have no say the government decides things i have absolutely mm. no the only power i have is voting that's it or as we've been saying or getting on the internet, being an activist on Twitter, getting on the internet and just making someone's life a misery. Yeah, the power is there, but it's the wrong power, and it's in the, and it's it's a it's a it's a very dangerous power because it actually it was we've, as we've discussed, it ruins people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's got anything to do with the it, democracy. I think it's a very different. I think it's very different from from the democratic process. It's just. It used to be it's it, we've, that that's the civil square has disappeared and been re- replaced with um, a mob with a lot of power, and and who, who unfortunately will probably have, um, you know, and they're not even anonymous anymore. People actually will put their real names. It's not even they're not even hiding behind 
anonymity anymore. They're just so brazen that they that that that, that, that you know who they are and they say these terrible things and. Um, sorry, I think I'm, ra- I'm, well, I'm, rant- that, that I'm rambling might, a bit. That but might have something to do with your earlier insight that um, the power trip that you get. Yeah, it's to- is, it's, it's, power it's trip. muted with anonymity. Yeah, because if you if you want your mug in the newspaper and your name, you've got to be open. Exactly. So so yeah. So that's right. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. But yeah, I think I think it is a power trip, and and it's and perhaps there's something to do with the the the, the, the idea that. We are in a democracy, but what power do we actually have now about, about the, our government's decisions? We have no power, really. If I, if I say I don't want the vaccine and they introduce vaccine passports, what power do I have to resist it against yeah. the government? So perhaps this is why people actually now go on social media and they go, well, I, I haven't got power over, over the, the decisions made in Canberra, but I, I can actually exercise this power on, in, in the social media space. Mm-hmm. But I think it's the wrong people doing it. It's the people who who are just activists. And one of the things that I remember from a Douglas Murray interview was him just saying, just people just need to get hobbies and just become less political. People need to rediscover other aspects of life, like get off the internet, start painting, go camping. You know, everyone's so politicized. Mm. Everything is so politicized. Mm that it's ruining life. So people are starting podcasts called The Political Animals. People are starting podcasts. Totally political, you know. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's just, it's, it's just, it's ruining, it's ruining life for the rest of us, these people who are totally obsessed with, with politics and, 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 and their, their particular um, activism. And it's just, I wish we could go back in time. This sounds really bad, but I wish we could go back to a non-Twitter time. I would like yeah. to be back in the 90s um, and I have the. I Amen was, to that. And you know, back in the nineties, where you, if someone didn't agree with what you said, they'd, they'd either write you a letter or telephone you, and you'd have a you'd have a discussion about yeah. about what you'd said, or they'd write an answer to they'd write a letter to the editor of the newspaper, and there'd be a civil discussion. That is completely gone now. Or more often than not, they just move on with their life. Yes, or just move on. <laughs> because with Because it was too much trouble yeah. to actually yeah. <laughs> read an article you don't necessarily agree with. Maybe go and whinge to someone about it, have yeah, a discussion that, about that's it. That's right. That's right. And then move on. And what then, are friends for? And then exactly, <laughs> I read this terrible article. They said such as that, and you'd be outraged together. But yeah. now this, this is just. I and I know I shouldn't. I I sound very old-fashioned saying, I just want to go back to a day where there was no Twitter. Ah, oh, look, I think I think that's laudable and under, understandable. And you know, it does occur to me that. I think you're totally right. What we have seen is a dangerous collapse of the boundary between the political and the civic or social mm. or even the, the private. Because yes. how damn obtr- obtrusive are these devices? Because you, you know, and, I, and I'm not, I'm, I'm subject to this. I'm, mm. I'm saying this is self-criticism <laughs> as yeah. well that, you know, you sit at home in your private time when you finished your work and you, you sit there flicking through Facebook yeah. or or Twitter because it's just it's so available and it's so it sucks you in and you can't help and and I feel this pressure as an academic and and, and you know, look I've started a podcast and so we're also in the age of profile where every every Tom Dick and Harry or Tom Dick and Sally or whatever now needs a profile and you feel this pressure mm. it's like you're nobody if you don't have yes, a profile you're nobody. And these, yeah you see all these people out there with millions of followers you see you see you know one of the big revelations when you have a kid and they get, first get exposed to YouTube, although that's something I try and uh, keep my son away from these days. And you realize, you know, there, there are these superstar kids that literally just unwrap toys, or there's the young teenage girl who literally just does makeup, or there's thousands of people just playing Fortnite for like eight hours a day. And these, guy, these guys and girls are getting millions and millions of views. And so we're in this age where every, you look around and people, not just experts, more often than not, it's other people. And they have these enormous profiles. And even even in my profession, academia, mm. you've now got the, your Jordan Petersons weighing you down because you're like, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> what it may, means to have an impact as yes. a scholar now yeah. is to have videos watched by hundreds of millions yes. of people, yeah. sell tens of millions yeah. of books, do a worldwide tour like you're the Rolling Stones and mm. so that. Mm. And then you're like, okay, well, Anything that, that may have been good in the 90s, mm. you know, a nice letter from someone yeah, saying, nice oh, really, that, that book you wrote or that article, now yeah. it seems completely worthless. And yes. you feel this pressure of yes. like, you've got to have an impact. You've got yeah. to have, have an impact. And I, I think the, the 90s, for me, was a golden era. Mm. Because from, nine, I was just thinking about this on the way here, actually. From 91 until 2001, 
there was this glorious period where the Cold War had ended. Islamist terrorism wasn't a thing yet. So, mm. And um, none of the deleterious technology had arisen mm. yet. You know, Facebook, even smartphones weren't, weren't around. Uh, you didn't spend all your time on the, on the internet. You could concentrate. You spent. You invested more in real yes. relationships. And even at university, and we were both doing arts. Yeah. I actually did history as well. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, American history originally. Then I then ended up doing honours in um, Greek history, 19th century Greek history. Uh, that was my, my first life, but I didn't, didn't pursue it. But it, even, even in that period in universities, yes, the dominant thing I remember was it was all about postmodernism. And as a young Christian going through uni, it's funny, what was I into? It was, you had to learn about new age religions. You had to mm. learn about the postmodernism thing. Mm. That was the apologetic frontier. That was yes. the big threat was, can you trust the text? How do you read yeah. the text? Yeah. It was all deconstruction. And I never felt like it was so destructive it was going to destroy civilization. And there was none of the this you know cancellation culture wasn't even a concept hadn't heard of it heard of it and so i i totally think that's a golden era but gen x's would say that wouldn't they mm, um they would you, you yeah. tend to romanticize you the, do. the period you do. in which you are formed because yes. I, I absolutely love 90s music but saying that, <laughs> saying that, <laughs> fashion like, wasn't so good why yeah yeah actually yeah when i look back at uh photos of me going to school in the late 90s I finished year 12 in 94, I think. And I've, I've got like long hair, yeah. this disgustingly ugly goatee, <laughs> that, like just this big bush thing <laughs> coming down, a flannel, flannelette yeah, shirt, and a like secondhand World War Army sort of German yeah. Army jacket, and then maybe some Stussy pants. That or sounds a, um, very 90s. Yeah. It was very shapeless stuff, but. but didn't look good. I've it did not say. look good. It did not look good. <laughs> I, yeah, music's better than that, but I, I, I feel like we're, we're, we, we've morphed into the, the old men Muppets talking about you know the old men the muppets that complain uh, about it, yes. that, where yeah. they complain about everything yeah, and yeah. you know the good old days and i never I, thought I i'd get to that, that i would have assumed that show was cancelled by now oh, it must have been there is a segue here to a more serious conversation because mm. i know um you've been doing work looking at the humanities yes. and sort of tracking yeah. the uh transmutations <laughs> that have mm. taken place there and we, we did go to our sort of Formative intellectual development happened in the same yeah, yes. decade, the 90s. Yeah. So um, what have you observed, learned? What are some of your, what's, share some of your thinking around what has gone on from the 90s until today? So I've, I've been looking at a qu- quite um, detailed, I've, be, I've done some very detailed studies of what is being taught in the humanities because you know, you have an idea that it's not quite right and um, perhaps it's not what it used to be and it definitely isn't what it used to be. So I thought I'm, I'm going to have to actually look and see what they're teaching. So I started with my first foray into that, that world um, four years ago. I did my first report and I looked at just history teaching and um, in 35 universities that had departments of history that Sorry, departments that taught history or departments of history. Was that in Australia? Or this is Australian universities. Like yeah. So, um, so I did, you know, countless, amazingly complicated and long Excel spreadsheets. And as a historian and as a hum- humanist, I'm not a fan of Excel. <laughs> Don't know about what you think about <laughs> almost it. Almost as bad as Twitter. Well, almost I, as bad as Twitter. No, I, I mean, I'm too dumb to actually use it. It's, it's good, so but hard. oh my gosh, you know, it, I've, I'm better than I used to be. But it's, it's. So, so I've, I've been living, living with Excel for a few years now. So I looked at um, the handbooks. I, I, I just looked online to see what, what the offerings were for 2017 and put them all in spreadsheets and then did an analysis. Um, and this is not just Australian history. This is all history. So I think it was 749 subjects in total. Wow. Um, and I've, I found that there, there were an awful lot of subjects that talk about class, race, and gender. So identity politics has really crept in. Um, and there was a lot of indigenous, there was a lot of environment, there was a lot of um, a, a sense of social justice and, and modern day sensibilities creeping in as opposed to, let's just look at the French Revolution without talking about gender. And that's getting harder and harder to do. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, the title of the subject would look good and then you go, oh, this sounds interesting. And, and then you read a bit and then they'll have to include one of the class, one of the races, or class less so because it's been replaced by race and gender. So really there's not much discussion now of, of Western civilization. There's more of a, 
focus on identity politics. And then in the following year, I looked at Australian history subjects in the same universities, and there was even more identity politics in those. Because I think it, it seems to have been hijacked more by, by, this, by the, the social sort of activists than, than general history. Um, and I found some things like not one prime minister was mentioned in any of the subjects. You'd think <laughs> in Australian history, they might be relevant. <laughs> and we're not even talking, it's not even, it wasn't even a political thing. It's, Whitlam's not mentioned. It's mm. not like it's a left or right thing. It's, it, nobody got a mention, except Pauline Hanson was mentioned three times in the sub, in, in no subjects. <laughs> so, so, well, I mean, and that points to they're not interested in the past. Australian historians generally, and I'm saying this generally because there's some really good Australian historians around, but generally the, the trend is what's happening is is amongst many academics is conflating the past and the present and there's this idea that the past is still wounding people in the present and that's why we need to do something about the past because it's actually causing harm to people today which is a terrible way of looking at history um so so that's what i found in the australian history then i looked at 20 years of um australian research council grants to the humanities billions of dollars spent on research proposals which again are quite concerned with identity politics, um, as you would imagine. And um, then I looked at, this year I looked at all the humanities subjects taught across Australia's top 10 ranking universities. So that's 1,181 subjects. That was a big job. That sounds like a big job um, and a lot of time with a Excel. Lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time with Excel and unfortunately a lot of time with my, with my laptop uh, because I escaped the Melbourne lockdown. Ah. And was took this my a lockdown with project? Me. This was no, it was pre. Well, yeah, I did a lot of it in lockdown. So, um, and and I did. A, I, I went to Darwin and stayed in the quarantine camp there because I just couldn't stand another a minute of being locked up oh, in my house in Melbourne. You fled the coop. You, I you did. escaped. I took the, my mother. Uh, I, took, I took my elderly mother. We escaped the gulag and we escaped to the free free state of New South Wales. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I looked at these these subjects and and used this similar methodology to to my previous research projects but this was a little bit different because it was um, English literature history politics philosophy and then anthropology sociology uh, gender studies so the, the findings were not surprising the most popular themes the most common themes in all those was identity politics and critical race theory mm. um, critical race theory is a new one and that seems to have crept in in the last couple of years so what seems to have happened to the humanities is that it's just become one big homogenized subject. So you read through them and I'm going, am I reading, I have to remind myself, am I reading philosophy or is this an English literature subject? Mm. I, I, it's all so similar that, that you have to remind yourself what faculty you're meant to be in looking at this subject because they all, they're all just looking at their particular disciplines through exactly the same lens, either mm. race or gender or, or um, to a lesser extent, but to, to a worrying extent, critical race theory. Western civilization is pretty much completely shunned uh, and, and replaced with this dangerous new way of looking at the world and, and all its um, path the pathology that we're seeing playing out in, in, in public now, which is the cancel culture, the wokeism, the, mm. everything that, that is happening. Um, so, you know, we can trace it directly to, to, to the universities because they're getting jobs, these people are getting jobs. They do their gender studies degrees and they go straight into the Victoria Public Service, Victorian Public Service, and they come up with a list of words that you're not meant to use. Girlfriend, boyfriend. You know, yeah. So it's all radical gender theory. It's all radical race theory. So they're shaping policy and they're shaping, mm -hmm. they're shaping um, our lives. And as someone who worked, I, I spent 13 years in the Federal Public Service in Canberra. And one of the things you do realise is that is that is the one industry that the arts humanities seems to train people for. They do informally in that. Yeah. That where do my, most arts humanities uh, graduates like me go? They end up in public services, mm. state or federal. And so, mm. if you're going to see an impact from trends in the university, that's where you'll get a concentration of them because. In a lot of corporations, you need accountants, you need yes. finance experts, yeah. you, you need actuaries, you need a whole bunch of uh, you know, people with MBAs. You, mm. There's not, it seems to me, the same preponderance of arts humanities graduates. But that was that's absolutely fascinating in a kind of very um, disconcerting way mm. because I, and, and I had not appreciated this. That it sounds like what has really happened is a strange kind of reductionism plus absolutization or totalization, which is 
a ha- literally a handful of theories have become theoretically totalitarian and they have seeped into a whole bunch of different disciplines that going back to the 90s had their mm. own kind of theories their own internal debates yes, their own yes. methodological yeah. approaches they had their own schools and usually there was a kind of pluralism there you know you had your quantitative people your mm. qualitative people in political science and that was still going still going on um, and that seems to it's a let's just call it a theoretical uniformity yeah <laughs> and that yes. is quite shocking for a university yeah. because I know it's all meant to be about diversity. Of, there's no yeah. diversity of thought or opinion anymore. No, and I guess the proponents of these theories would be like, well, yeah, these are kind of meta theories that explain everything, and mm. that's the path to justice and yes. nirvana. Yes. So, you, hell yeah, there's no yeah. other, there's yeah. no room for anything else. We quite yeah. we want to we want to see these racist, colonial, sexist, homophobic theories yeah. out of there. But it's a it's a complete reversion and regression mm. of everything the university was supposed to stand for like i going back to what i said earlier in the sense of how could there be any phase of history any aspect of the human experience of the galaxy that could possibly be off limits for mm. studying and and a bugbear of mine is, is theology you have you have universities like the anu mm. they're militantly against doing theology well, that's great. Why? But, but it has shaped. What, do they? Do they say? Do they? Is it expressed um, why they're, they're militantly against? I say. I say. I might be overstating it slightly, but it's because I know there have been efforts in the past to kind of partner with the ANU, and and they're they're very specific that they don't want to touch theology. But there are historical reasons here too, going back to the formation of Australian universities at a time when Australia had uh, Anglicans, Catholics, mm. and and dissenters. Um, the universities when they were forced, the sandstones when they were formed, decided not to get into theology to avoid the sectarian problems. And so theology got, got done yes. in denominationally yeah. based yeah. theological colleges, which is why Australia has a ridiculous number of theological colleges, because, you know, the Baptists need three. I was always wondering that, actually. Yeah, why yeah. It's because, they, yeah, it makes sense. So there was a certain yeah. logic to yes. it. Yeah. And of course, the ANU was founded in the 20th yes. century and, and, yeah. and so forth. But the, the thing is like, okay, that that's great. But theology is one aspect Mm. you know that was wrapped into um philosophy throughout a lot of history you can't study european australian american without studying the and avoid this theology issue and so why arbitrarily put it off limits because you okay sure you think it's methodologically wobbly Mm. if if you want to think of something kind to say yes you know you're, you're studying the studying nonsense or whatever but that that should be irrelevant like at a historical level alone how can you educate generations of kids and they come out knowing almost nothing about christianity it Mm. only shaped the course of history i know (laughs) they know nothing you don't have to embrace it no why why would you not study it it? like just know about it like uh you can be an atheist and still study it yeah and um you're welcome to reject it but just know about it before you do yeah so again (laughs) I, i mentioned that because in terms of this this strange reductionistic theoretical uniformity handful mm. of theories and you know systemic racism mm. or um sorry not systemic racism critical race theories like like the buzz one at the so moment why, why would you just reduce yourself to that lens and perspective mm. particularly like um surely in the maths department or if you're a quantum physicist there's a there's a or even if you're a historian and you're looking at the inquisition you know, this applying this concept anachronistically surely is going to have very limited return. Well, I just had yield. a thought while you were speaking. I was listening and thinking at the same time. Listening and reflecting. <laughs> listening and reflecting. <laughs> Would it be a case of you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion about how this new this wokeism and this the rejection of 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 Christianity is. Well, so we've rejected Christianity and we've invented a new religion in its place, which is wokeism. So is Christianity not then just... Wokeanity. (laughs) Wokeanity. Was that better than... That was um, much better. The... That's brilliant. Wokeanity has replaced Christianity and therefore teaching Christianity again is too much of a threat to the new religion. Yeah, How about that? Could that could that be could that be something? Could that be we look? We've 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 killed God and we've killed yeah. Christianity and we've replaced yeah. it with this worship of human beings as the center of everything. This new solipsism, um, and therefore we can't have. It's like communists banning religion. Yeah. 
yeah. because because you can't have you can't have, can't have you, people have to worship can't the state. state you can't religions. have two state religions you can't have people worshiping god and the state the state has replaced god yeah. so so this is this is the replacement of god so you can't you have to banish the idea of christianity yeah. you cannot you yeah. cannot have it on campus i think I, I i like that a lot and again although actually let, let me add one little nuance mm. dare i say it um, just just a question of how to formulate this this thought because I don't have the luxury of um, thinking and talking at the same time. <laughs> now you're having to talk and think well, at the same time. Well, usually you think and talk at the same time, but, but, but it's easier to reflect and listen than to think, <laughs> think and talk on the spot, basically. Um, I was just thinking, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of ways in which you could elaborate that parallel, the, the religious paradigm, mm. paradigmatic parallel. or You know, part of the central part of the not just the Christian story, but a lot of major religions, is good and evil. We have these two forces. And, okay, we don't need to get theological about, you know, how this all works. There are different views even in, in Christianity. And that makes a lot of sense because it's true to our experience. Mm. We People these days, the term evil is unfashionable. You can call it good and bad. Bad seems to fall a little short mm. of, you know, the Holocaust and mm. things like that. But not, not we're saying that. Even young kids know there's pain there's pleasure yes there are, there are people you can trust there are people yes. that let you down yeah people are nice people are, are yes. mean so life life is this paradoxical mix mm. and so once you kill christianity and put something in its place mm. you you still need to be able to identify good and evil mm. and so one of the things about wokeanity is it's identified mm. its new satan yes <laughs> and it's new yeah demonic order and its new um, opponents to the true church of Christianity, mm. and that is people like you and me but what it's, what it's done <laughs> is that it's demonized what we know to be good and true yeah. so it's demonized the idea of um, it's an inversion it is an inversion so everything so it's demonized the idea of objective truth it's it's of truth yeah it's demonized the idea the the, the family the, the the idea of family yeah. It's demonized everything which keeps society normally in normal circumstances mm. functioning to a, to as best as it can given our given our states given our lack of perfection, and this is what it's done. It's it's actually it, this is why woke wokeanity is so bad. It's because it's inverted everything. Yeah, and you're yeah. one one very in a way poignant instance of this inversion is the way now you know what what's at the heart of cancel culture it's not reconciliation there's no forgiveness no. it's not about trying to make people better letting them know look you know you've talking sinned, like that can be sinned, a bit offensive yeah, is there another yes, way or yeah. okay yes you really have yeah. stepped yeah. over the line because let's let's not be coy there yeah. are real racists yes, there and are sexists and, and absolutely stuff. so yeah. there, are, there is a line and 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 even as a conservative, I want to see people held accountable yes. for what I would regard as a Christian or sinful yes. behavior. Yeah. But I'm, I'm all about forgiveness and reconciliation because we all depend on it, right? That's, that's at the heart of the Christian message. That's the thing missing in Christianity. Exactly. There's a virtuous class that really aren't perfect. Mm. They've got nothing, nothing to worry about. And they are not interested in forgiveness and reconciliation. They're interested in making people pay mm. a permanent penalty they yeah. they want to stick you straight in purgatory yeah and never forever. never you can never um apologize yeah apologies do nothing no no that's right that or, just, or does just, it confirm your it just sin. confirms that it confirms yeah, it's like the old witch things if she what was yeah. it if she drowns she's yeah she's innocent and if she if she doesn't drown she's guilty this is why i'm not in favor of apologies unless if it if it's below the line yeah and i would put the line quite high yes but if it's just like misgendering or something yeah it don't, no, I don't think you have to come up and sort of um, you know atone in front of Theodosius oh, sorry if you do a sort of Theodosius like yeah, yes. atonement in front yeah. of Ambrose and yeah. sort of you know crawl up to his feet and, yeah that's right and um, you know spend spend some months in the in the doghouse yeah what's I mean, the point of, a, what's the point of <laughs> apologizing if you're not going to get if you're not going to be forgiven yeah yeah Exactly, so, but also it, yeah, because it just confirms what they've done. And what are you apologising for anyway? You haven't, you probably haven't done anything wrong anyway. Most of these people who are, who have been, yeah, been yeah. attacked by the virtuous cancellors, who mostly are the least virtuous people in yeah. <laughs> in society yeah, at the yeah. moment. And just to be clear, I'm, I'm talking about not, not like if I 
did something even with a, a gender issue i probably would just say sorry for yeah it's not like i'm sorry yeah i'm talking about yeah. once once you go into the cancellation zone and there's a public mob trying to take you down that's when i think actually you need to be defiant and say no i'm not apologizing for that it was just a mistake or it might, it might not even be a mistake mm. and just say look that you're taking yeah <laughs> you're deliberately yeah. construing this yes. you're using offense as a weapon to try and cancel me now bella we're at 58 minutes and, okay. and I know we have to end soon but I was actually hoping we might be able to try and end on a positive no let's <laughs> no, end on a positive no. note so because I, I am actually not a pessimist about this because one thing I learned working in security working on Islamist terrorism for years in intelligence as some listeners will know is when you're assessing the capability of a threat you've always got to factor in what is standing against it so in the case of Somalia, Al-Shabaab, all, all it took was a couple of thousand committed jihadists and they toppled the government. But that's because the government wasn't very strong mm. its forces weren't committed. Jihadists have never had a chance against the US. They've never come close and they're mm. never going to get close mm. because when the US applies its force, yes. they get massacred yeah. actually. Yeah. They get killed in their tens of thousands. Yeah. So it gets trickier in the cultural domain. I kind of alluded this to this earlier. You're an example of someone who is fighting back against this threat. There's the Jordan Peterson phenomenon. I always remind people when, when they get too dark and gloomy, I say, well, there are millions of youngsters being raised on a very different message. They're going, a lot of them are going to go to university. They're going to end up working in the workforce. So do you have any optimism about uh, let, let's put it in, in um, the, the, let's paint it a portrait of extreme religious symmetry or something. Mm. Do, do you ever, do you think there's there's a possibility for the forces of light to vanquish Absolutely. the forces of yeah, darkness? They, it will. This? And where do you find your own personal um, um, well, drive to keep keep in this fight? Uh, because because I believe it is a a, a spiritual battle, and um, and the devil can't win. It's that simple. That simple. Yeah. So I'm, I, um, I'm Christ will win, and he's going to be victorious, and I'm, I would, I'm on his side. Um, and it's probably not popular with your listeners, and you know, it's it's I not think an a lot institute. Of my listeners are actually, it's uh, it's uh, not Christian. an institute of public affairs sort of <laughs> stance. It's this is my personal opinion, um, but I but I, I I believe that it is it is um, that we are we just have to get through these very difficult times, mm. and that we are we will be on the winning side. I like that, not only because it's so succinct and um, powerful, and in a way powerful because of its succinctness, it's kind of like God will win. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he will. But in all Otherwise it's not God. Well, well this, is, this is interesting because I, I do have one concern moving in a lot of conservative Christian circles. There's a lot of doom and gloom, and I get that. It's mm. not entirely unfounded mm. because if the forces of darkness are just given a free reign, then uh, life is going to get. You can't get, get bad. into. You can't give into despair. That's no. the point, and that's where the devil will get people. But I do wonder sometimes. There, there's a kind of implicit attitude, like God has abandoned mm. his creation, his church, mm. his people, to the wokesters. But <laughs> I think that's. Positive. But I think that's. But what, what is it? If you believe in a big God, yes, you should be confident in victory, should you not? You absolutely. You should, and then and this this is the devil telling you that he's won. Isn't it? It's it's the devil saying, "Well, you might as well just give up because look, I've got control. I've got control of everything. I've got control of the media, of governments. Of um, look at this world that I'm I'm creating." Mm -hmm. um, but but Christ will win. His, his victory is guaranteed, mm -hmm. and it's very tempting to despair. And and I remember my father always told me, just despair is 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 one of the tools the devil will use will use on you, and you have to just resist that. And it's a very hard thing to do, but. Mm. Um, but we can't despair because that's what the modern world is doing. The modern world is actually despairing. Yeah, yeah. It's utterly lost. Yeah, it is utterly lost, but we're actually not. Yeah. So we shouldn't be the ones despairing. We should be the ones just watching the madness and pointing it out when, and, and, and fighting because, because it's, it's my, my conscience, it's my duty to, because I, I, I feel that's why I've been created. Um, that's my job. <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy it a lot of the time, um, but I've, I've got to do it otherwise. And when I meet my creator and he goes, look, I gave you, I gave you those talents and you didn't defend me. I want to be able to say I did my best and, um, and I believe that we're on the winning side. But anyway, that's, that's just my opinion. It's not an Institute of Public Affairs 
gen, uh, policy policy position. You don't work for the Institute of Religious Affairs. <laughs> I don't really work for the Institute. We, right. we get it. Well, look, Bella, as far as I'm concerned, it looks and sounds like you're doing a, a great job. And uh, I thank you for coming on the podcast and discussing this. No, it's been wonderful to, to get into, because I usually have to do sort of sound bites. It's nice to get into something a bit deeper. I'm the anti-soundbite <laughs> podcaster of Australian <laughs> politics. <laughs> But I really had a, a really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for being generous with your time. No, thank you.